$155 million wonderland. As if by magic, 1,216 acres of wasteland have been transformed into the most stupendous exposition the world has ever known. Ladies and gentlemen, you are about to witness the most excitingly different new concept in the history of television. So you think so? All of you who are living in the year 2000 are fortunate. I think it was back in 1944, wasn't it? That's the most remarkable thing I've ever seen. So how's Bard going, man? Oh, it's, it's going great. I actually was talking with Kevin, um, the guy, one of the two guys I'm working on with last night. We were looking at the first episode, and yeah, we got, yeah, it's, the first episode is basically done. We're still, we got to tag some animation in, and we're, we're looking at uh, someone to do some music for it, but yeah. It, it, oh, whoa, I didn't actually realize that there's animation with this. So I, I, my understanding of it was initially that this was like a podcast, but are you, you're doing videos with the podcast? Are you going to be doing like a YouTube thing? Is it going to be on... Uh, <laughs> Some, so, something else yeah it's kind of if you uh if you go to youtube and check it out so it's called the uh, bard the prison diaries of edwin drake it is we it, we kind of conceived it as a podcast um like six episodes of this guy's uh his life story his recollections with him he's in he's in prison now so we get these phone calls whenever he calls i pick up and i record uh we it's hard to schedule with someone who's incarcerated because there's so many things going on in there but yeah so we've been recording for about a year. Um, I've been friends with them for about a year. We've been recording uh, for about nine months, and we have audio for all six episodes that we think will be season one. And yeah, we were uh, we're, we're doing the the visual component um, because this will be featured on um, on the the Right Brain website, and it's going to be something you could put on and listen to, and it'll work perfectly as a podcast. But we also are making a short film with it. And so that will be a, a series of short films. They will be six short films, about 15 minutes. Yeah, so it, it's kind of a, a hybrid. Um, we're, and and, we, and we, we already got into a film festival, um, Hollywood Boulevard Film That's Festival. That's so exciting. Yeah. yeah. That's so amazing. So, yeah, and that was based off, um, we, we did a Christmas episode. Uh, Edwin retells uh, a story I remember from, that when you yeah. launched the uh, the Indiegogo. Yeah, the, yeah, the GoFundMe. Um, yeah, it oh, was, that was right. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Oh, my no, God. No, no, no. No, I, it's, it's my fault. I confuse all these sites. I, I am a father, so I Everything's, have it. Twitter I've and Nintendo brain. Today, no, so. it happens. It happens to all of us. <laughs> if you if you ever become a dear and uncle now, congratulations yeah, yeah, by the yeah, way. Yes, I'm becoming an uncle you. as of thank yesterday. You. Yeah, yeah. It's fresh. Oh man, um, I, we're recording this on, on Monday, everybody. I know you're hearing this on Thursday. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry, I I was just on Sunday. Congratulations. Yes, yeah. thank you. I'm we're, let's very break proud. that fourth wall every episode yeah. <laughs> until I get it right. This I is, feel like this, this is Conan O'Brien. <laughs> but yeah, no, so uh, that's amazing. You're gonna be in a film festival. East Coast is representing on the West Coast, which I always yeah. dig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, this is, it's it's all pretty new for me. Um, but none of this was like planned. Um, I I wrote, so I I met uh, Edwin on a, it's called writerprisoner.com. He had actually put up something of a, he was hoping for a lady friend to write him, right? Um, he wanted to have, <laughs> yeah, correspondence. Um <laughs> Why did you? Okay, okay. But I, know, I did not know this. Things. Oh, you didn't know this. I had oh, so no you just idea. Thought, like he was just being super friendly. I well, not and realizing that if if you, yeah, the site it wasn't. I think there might be different categories, and I was. Oh, yeah. You were in the I wrong I one. ended up somewhere. Um, and yeah, so I just <laughs> I I 
what you me almost, and um, you almost became somebody. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's never me. You didn't and just Edwin, dodge we were... <laughs> one bullet. You were Samuel Jackson, and all the bullets went around you, and you just looked around no. like it was some act of God. And had like me. some crisis of faith thing happened, and you, yeah, and you made a podcast. I mean, that's what he would have done now. <laughs> that's what me, I did. Me and him, we made an immediate connection, and we we had. <laughs> that's what I did. Um, little delay but, on the reaction, but it's yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, it was that's like a sinker in. It's yeah. real early in the morning when we're doing. <laughs> um. But yeah, so I was looking for, I honestly, it's something I always thought I should do is like, is write to an inmate. I mean, for like, I'm, I'm supposed to be a writer, right? So that is supposed to be my talent. And, um, you know, you hear these stories about people who are, you know, they're locked up in the system and like, they don't have a lot of family sometimes. There's no one calling them, checking in on them. And it, it becomes, it's isolating. It's lonely. And so I just kind of wanted to do this just yeah make a friend make a connection and he me and him fast friends we made like a it was an unlikely pair so edwin he he grew up in oakland um he he's lived a tough tough life he he was on the streets i mean he he was in biker gangs he he sold drugs he was a, a a pimp i mean this guy has lived a, a a wild life and he's been locked up so he's been in and out of the system now he's in his late 50s now and he has remorse for all of this in his in his life and as we were becoming closer and and I was getting to hear the, his story because he was very open with his story and he's very forthcoming and for and he wants to be forgiven and he wants to forgive himself and it, it's it's tough but so as he was telling me these stories I was like dude people need to hear this this is I've never heard a story like this it's crazy and he's like really I'm like, yeah, man, this is like the wildest uh, story I've ever heard. And so I was like, I immediately talked to a, a good friend of mine, uh, Kevin Ronka, who who's living in, in L.A. at the time. And he he started his own um, a Right Brain Studios. And so I linked up with him and we, yeah, we started grabbing these recordings. And yeah, I mean, Edwin sounds, he's great. He's got this great voice. And uh, the phone calls actually sound pretty good coming from prison. He gets a little bit of prison chatter, but it's like, it's immediate. Like, that's just one less thing we'll have to lay in and post you know so like it's 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 a very um it's like i said it's an intriguing project because we're doing it both visual and as a podcast um and it will be on the right brain website the right brain studio website that uh we're, we're launching we think in may now but uh don't hold us to that but it'll be coming very soon and yeah if you, you'll be able to catch uh yeah the bar the the prison diaries of Edwin drake on there you gotta listen to this guy's story it's it's not unlike goodfellas the way this story unfolds with all the characters he brings in and all the the, the change of courses and it it's just wild and it, it also he's very spiritual uh his he, he his father is a preacher um and so he struggles with this duality you know the good and bad the thing we that all makes us human and he sees the errors in his ways i mean he he's been in and out of jail it's mostly like drug crimes his most recent one um he, he actually has already served his base sentence he's hoping to get out soon because they have these things called enhancements um that they just kind of peeled back in california so he's in on these extra years because it was like he already had priors and since they repealed this uh, law he he's now looking to get out within the next year because he has served that base sentence for the, the actual crime. This was just added on as like, yeah, as, as part of the penal system there. But Jesus that's getting repealed. Christ. So 
Yeah, that's it, it's that's disgusting, man. That sucks. It, yeah, yeah. It's and there's there's a lot it is hard to keep in contact. Some of these like websites are shoddy when I try to send them emails and then sometimes he won't get them for a couple weeks. They just sit on them in there. I mean, I'm sure they there's a reason or something, but um yeah, so it's very hard to communicate and um but yeah, I me and him were like I said, unlikely friends. Just this goofy suburban kid on the east coast from the suburbs and he's like this uh street hardened guy, but he, he's got the you biggest You literally heart. are Charlie from It's Always Sunny. Yeah. <laughs> you literally are now, people don't understand. Like when I see I'm like, Jesus Christ and I'm not trying to make fun of you. It's like no, I mean no. that as a compliment where I'm like, you're it's you and him <laughs> And occasionally me, they get into these weird situations. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and, and you got to meet Kevin still. Me and him going back to high school, we used to get in all sorts of mix-ups. Oh, my and, God. No. So, that yeah. Would be, it, that would be great. Yeah. We should all get together and watch <laughs> yeah, Man- yes. Michael Mann's Manhunter. Uh, I find that's a really good icebreaker. Yeah, that, you can sit down that. and go, oh, I see where he got Miami Vice and that, that, that. Like, oh, uh, I see this is where he came from. That shot in heat is like from this. If you can sit down and do that, then you're going to be fantastic. Yeah, I've, I've still to see <laughs> that well, like movie, actually. It's a weird cult um, movie. Yeah, I, and I do love Michael do Mann. It's like my one blind spot of that and the black. Actually, black Ridley Scott's my guy. Okay, well, yeah, you, Ridley Scott's you're my guy. Like, and and I alien. naturally just fell into it. And no, it's not just Alien. It was Blade Runner. It was even the four-hour cut of Kingdom of Heaven. I'm into. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just goes uh, like his historical epic period. I got really into that for a while. So I, I just I'm fascinated by his work and everything. And I for, I don't know why I got drawn to him, but I just did. Like I the only film I I think that he's done that I haven't seen is The Duelists, which oh, is the movie his, that got him. Alien. Yeah, I think it's what from '77 with Harvey Keitel, I believe, is one of the leads, and it's based on like yeah, a... it's the summer of '77 when that came oh, out. Okay, it was actually up against Star Wars and all this other stuff, yeah. and um, it was uh, nominated for an Academy Award. I wow. think they got it for. That's what we're getting to next week, right? We'll be getting into that that period. Yes, um, but before that, we have to do this week's episode. Hi, yeah. everybody. <laughs> Gorilla Film History Now. I'm Pete. And I'm Mark. And this is a podcast where two film nerds get together and plug each other's crap. Yeah. (laughs) Um. You can also find my stuff this week on dorkdaily.com. I have a new piece out this week. I'm your gamer daddy. (laughs) I'm sitting here playing with my kids uh, this week talking about uh, Link to the Past. It's been 29 years since The Link to the Past uh, has come out on Super Nintendo, and me, my son, and stepdaughter all sat down and played that for a while and got lost in that. So, yeah, that's that uh, that's good. the one this week. And you've got Bard coming up. Yeah, That's yeah. super exciting. I can't. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about that. Yeah, I'm so yeah. happy we had the chance to. I I didn't even know that it was that involved. It, it's fantastic. Yeah, it yeah, and it's it's kind of one big happy accident, and got a good friend out of it, and uh, yeah, yeah I'm just excited for everyone to catch it. So yeah, look out for that. I'm on uh, Instagram at Mark Rubendahl. Me and Kevin are at Right Brain Studios, like I said uh, on Instagram. But yeah, my my personal Instagram, you can check out my art and uh, just my. <laughs> angry political rantings <laughs> yeah and don't forget to follow us on social media g film history now on instagram and twitter and if you have any ideas for the show feel free to email us at g film history now at gmail.com and that twitter pete how many followers we got we as of this recording we got to 600 six wow 
Yeah, thank you so much, everybody. 600 people know what Gorilla Film History now is. That's insane. Uh, <laughs> that's so cool. Uh, <laughs> I know. Just a genuine moment. I, I just, I can't believe that. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much. This is so cool. It's unbelievable. All um, right, let's get down to the brass tacks. Yeah, this week, we're we talking go. about the new wave forms. Now, uh, yeah. Mark has some fun working titles that we have every week. <laughs> Uh, and I thought this one was so good that we needed to share it with you. So, so what was the full working title of this week's episode, Mark? So, yeah, this is what I fire up the dock with. Uh, it's kind of, yeah, I'm wearing my uh, turtleneck in a, a French beret right now because um, it's a little poem. So it goes, uh, <laughs> new wave forms in the walls of college dorms adorned with poster boards of French auteurs and Hitchcockian gore and Warren Beatty in a fedora as Sybil powders the girls and pushes them up. So the fellas get to think and they can score. <laughs> that was my uh, my mission statement for for this week. <laughs> it will all make sense as there's we like go. scat drums in the back. Yes, yeah. And it's the brush. It's the brush sticks. Get some snaps. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Okay. So we're not really talking about the new wave, but this is just the formation of the new wave. And you wanted to open up with this quote from. Tarantino you wanted me to listen to it now yeah it's it, it it's gonna encompass pretty much everything we wanted to talk about it's it's yeah the formation of the new wave and how actually film criticism um was was kind of crystallizing in in this period in the early, late 50s early 60s and yeah he, he he cites how sometimes the critic reading the critic's work on on a piece of film is uh actually more powerful than the film itself so yeah it, we can hit that clip. There's a lot of artists that you respond to, especially when you're a young man or a young woman, that um, they are important for what they are because they take you to a new place. But you can also grow out of them, too. And that actually is their function. I've heard a lot of uh, um, uh, artists will say that when they were younger, Frank Frazetta actually really inspired them. But Frazetta is an artist that you attach, you, you, you enjoy, and then you grow out of. But he take, took you to the next place. In a weird way, Godard's homemade quality and then his thumbing his nose at cinema technique, but always finding some clever anti-version of technique. But it was the cleverness and the way he pulled off the cleverness that really seemed to work. Uh, and that, you know, it, to me at that time, because I was discovering Godard around the same time I was discovering 60s Dylan, mm-hmm. that they, they almost walked step by step together that that series of dylan albums you know mm-hmm. ending more or less yeah. with john wesley harden mm-hmm. um same thing with Godard, ending more or less around the same time period so that's a really interesting take it, it's almost like to him and correct me if i'm wrong but it, it sounds like he kind of takes this kind of period that's starting to form here as this adolescence of film this kind of teenage era of film yeah and it i I don't want to demean it, and he's trying not to either. But these these movies do they they reserve a special. That's why uh, in that title I have the the line about the walls of college dorms adored with auteurs. Because I mean I had like yeah Breathless. When you see Breathless when you're like seventeen, eighteen, like that movie just like it, it shatters your world. It, it is seeing that in nineteen sixty or um, 
yeah, 400 Blows the year before that by Truffaut. These movies, that, that's why it was called The New Wave. There was some new energy, and it, it was this new young crop of filmmakers who were looking at films as critics and then trying to apply that to their, their like new trade, which was going from writing to actually making these films. And, yeah, it's... I don't think he means it in a derogatory way. It's just like this is when you get really excited about films and you you, you see a, 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 yeah, you're 20 in film class and the teacher shows you, yeah, uh, 400 blows or like La Jete, right? Like these movies, you're just like, where where did this come from? Yeah. I I knew a few people that would put La Jete in like their dating profiles and stuff. And I was like, really? We just saw that last week. In film history, post World War II, like this doesn't. Why? Why are you doing but, this? Just because? The, just say twelve months. Y- yeah, the the, the modern uh, it's, reinterpretation. It's the more accessible one, and everybody knows what that is. Don't go la jete, and it's like, uh, and then on top of that, you're picking the one where it's a bunch of still photos, like it's it a found is. footage documentary. No, yeah, but yeah, the adolescence definitely, uh, I, like, yeah, breathless on your college dorm wall. The thing you you were you're hitting on, Pete, is it's like, yeah, when 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 you're a younger guy or girl and you see these movies and you're excited about films, you you identify with something. You immediately you want to be, be the character. You want to put them on the wall. It like becomes this like the the French New Wave has its place as yeah, and as Tarantino goes to say, it's something you you, you can almost graduate from. But like. Yeah, he can say that because he's Quentin Tarantino and he can think he's made movies much better. I, I'm not going to make that claim. I love the French New Wave. Um, I've, I'll never graduate from it. I, I mean, I I love the the aesthetic and the, the messy black and white and stuff. And yeah, uh, my favorite modern filmmaker, one of them is Noah Baumbach, and he takes heavily from uh, this era of films and it's just yeah it it, it will never stop tantalizing uh, a new crop of kids checking out movies uh you know in their adolescence and it's perfect because yeah, there's also something else about this right like because this is something that you talked about where uh when we were talking about the the show today where this is also kind of the beginning of like film criticism too yeah right? in in kind of the modern way we understand it film criticism can be traced back to 1904 actually um which is oh wow yeah that's um in if you remember from our first couple episodes um yeah 1904 this was a it's a brand new art form and it, people were were still kind of uh it, the novelty was enough to blow you away but that doesn't mean people weren't sitting down and you know thinking about these movies so there was something called the optical lantern in cinemagraph uh journal if you remember we talked about a magic lantern so that's what they were uh, playing on and i got a quote here from uh matthew rowe on this article from film inquiry it's a great article i'd suggest checking it out but he sums this uh this era of film criticism up with this um This was the first trade publication of its type, making its way around the world. It provided, among many other details, interview with industry leaders and crew, analysis on new innovations, which often included basic construction manuals, debates on different equipment and film stock, and even letters to the editor, editor, which comprised inquiries from professional photographers and on-set electricians. It even featured satirical cartoons of most classical stereotypes of filmmakers and filmgoers, which makes me believe the earliest assumptions and romanticizations of the profession originated from this publication. But what also began in this paper was the very first critical responses to the actual films being released. And so we see the inception of like the trade publication for, for, for the film industry here. And, and so this would have been new. You're, I mean, a bunch of people probably 
wouldn't have even seen films at this point. But, of course, if you were someone who was going to films in the first five, ten years, you know, um, you were rolling the Nickelodeons, maybe. Yeah, that you, you would have been interested in this stuff. And as we see nowadays, there, there, go on Reddit, there is no shortage of niche interest. And, like, but when you have a new art form... And, and the, the criticism's right behind it, right? Someone's got to make a movie, but then someone has to sit there and watch it and think about it. So, like, this is kind of, we're sliding into the second phase from we have the cameras and stuff, now we're making the films, and now people are, are looking at them. But that, that publication only lasted 11 months. And so when it went oh, under... Oh, whoa. So, like, now. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it is kind of eerie. Yeah, it, it just went under. and We, it, we were only able to get the Kickstarter for, for two issues guys i'm really sorry but yeah. thank thank you to all 30 of your people's support right yeah so the make guy sure uh, listening to our podcast everybody uh, <laughs> all 30 of you because that's free you don't have to give us any more money for that yeah that, if you uh, would that would uh, feel really good uh <laughs> that reminds, i don't know why when i worked at the dollar store and our manager just ran off with nine grand one night instead of doing a drop <laughs> and then he uh and yeah, wow. he said he How got. How long did it take you to get nine grand in that store? Well, it was Holy like for God. the week. Yeah, it was the Friday <gasps> drop, and he he said oh. he. Wait, he, he, oh God, $9,000 in a week? Yeah, it's a dollar yeah. store. That's a lot of stuff. Yeah, and, and everything was indeed a dollar. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he, he went to the mountains. It wasn't like Dollar General? Uh, no, where, yeah, everything's like six ninety nine. dollars uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, he ran off to the mountains, called the authorities, said he got jumped, and then we never heard from him again. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, that has nothing to do with this. <laughs> yeah. He was the guy. That was my first job. He, he saw something in me, and I, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> he saw I, 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 I don't sometimes know I hope. I don't know if that's a good thing. If uh, if he saw something in you, hey, guy that hired me and ran with the money, uh, reach out. Uh, <laughs> He's in I'll, prison. If he was in prison, he he was definitely a felon. I mean, prison over nine grand. What is it with you and criminals? <laughs> I just I'm like the eccentric types. No, no, you're, you're really. My wife said the same thing the other day. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, yeah, I, I attract all, all all types of people, and I'm attracted to all types of people. It's, it's, yeah. What does it say about me? You're, you're what, interesting. What I? I, I guess. You're the man, Pete. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you're. Uh, you know, you're an elder man? statesman. Who else is the man? Roger Ebert. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay, yeah. <laughs> to get us, to back, get us back. Yeah. Sorry. Okay, so yeah, that only lasted 11 months. And so when that trade publication went under, what came up in its place to fill the void was actually some of the same, but it, it was it reformed. So we now have like Variety and Billboard at this time, which is two, uh, I mean, you've heard of yeah, Billboard and Variety. Um, they were among the first to fill this void. And what was significant here is that it was no longer a book written by studios and industry men, but this was like independent. And even though it was probably made up of some of these some the same people, they were no longer working for these studios and just kind of writing up puff pieces or just release stats. This is now getting into that and another level because these are private entities, right? These are businesses and they can now look at this with some ob objectivity and report whatever news they deem to be coming out of Hollywood, which sometimes was scandals. They don't really get into the scandal peddling until a little bit later. Um, and it does contribute to the Hayes Code because when you have scandals in Hollywood and you have people writing about Hollywood, people are writing about the scandals. And um, 
this offended a lot of people across the country and it made you know hollywood seem like some some bastion of depravity which word it's cool if it was but um i think it probably <laughs> was to be yeah fair. no and but some of it's sensationalized and some of the things we'll never hear like it's Fatty Arbuckle did not sit on that woman. Mm, um, we're never going to know who killed the Black Dahlia. Yeah, that's a great De Palma movie. Who Actually, I'm going to be mentioning in a couple minutes. Um, oh. Yeah, because he, he, he's he's in on this, too. He's, he's definitely part of this this new wave. But yeah, so w- once you get Variety and Billboard, like I said, it, j- it kind of reshuffled how this was going, but this was still a nascent like art form. This is We're at the, the beginning stages. Um, and, but I'm I, I'm not going to bore us with a history lesson. Don't worry. Uh, I'm going to hop us to ni- oh, 19. Oh, yeah. Why would you do that? It's a history podcast. <laughs> um, but, yeah, in, in, in the 1940s. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to bore you with the history. Uh, I'm <coughs> we're, we're all about the f- gossip. <laughs> well, that's for, uh, yeah, Hita Hopper is, is a character. <laughs> Okay. Uh, who's yeah you may have heard of and she she was she comes on a little later and she was the kind of the gossip queen but yeah but um post-war italy is where this this movement what we're going to be talking about really gets to start because and you is have, that where Godard comes in where, where is that really where like it starts for him because i mean Godard does bicycle thief right am i wrong no, on so that? yeah that's that i'm um, this is italian so that w- this is right after the war now these the films that these guys are making i'm about to talk about directly influence what the the French New Wave guys were trying to do at uh, Calle du Cinema. Yeah, in the the post-war Italy, there was, uh, yeah, Lucino Visconti. He's the one that directed uh, Bicycle Thief. And then, oh, okay, so I am Giuseppe DeSantis is another uh, director. Um, And the, the... they worked for they worked as film critics but when the the war ended and uh, things started to get back to normal they decided like why are we just writing about these movies there's not enough of them that we because they were trying to platform the ones they like which were political pieces were some, yeah left-leaning or about the war and, and we, we keep mentioning italian neorism but they're literally shooting in bombed out buildings that were bombed out like months years earlier so this is like on the ground so instead of just platforming these movies uh, by writing about them they were like well we're gonna make our own and we're gonna boil it down and distill the feeling we like into what we want to do and so you get this like click of italian filmmakers um in in the 50s and they're making movies uh yeah the bicycle thieves one of them fellini gets his start in in this era roberto rosalini is a filmmaker who who these guys looked up to and he was making these types of films rome year one and germany year one are two great films by him but yeah and then so that 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 that's the 50s the french new wave guys which we're about to be talking about here um which they will get into right after the break because yeah. i think this is probably a good place to stop yeah and we'll come with in that. Yeah. and then maybe you can come in and tell us a little bit more about the what was the the cinema the cirque de cirque du soleil uh, Calle du cinema <laughs> Calle du cinema yeah, I'm yeah, so yeah sorry i'm really not trying to to <laughs> on the french language when i i cannot remember <laughs> uh-huh. these titles i'm not uh-huh. at all because i mean like you last week literally we're talking about how how crazy they get <laughs> yeah, no, the French are lit. Uh, the Freedom Fries are bull. I never ate one. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> so yeah, Calle du Cinema. What is that? That's actually something I, I do not remember. Yeah, so it translates to Notebooks of Cinema, and this was um, in France. It's kind of like we just talked about with the Italians. This a group of guys. They had similar viewpoints on, on films and what they liked to see in films, and they got together, and they started this, uh, yeah, it was a film critic book, and, and the French 
at this point, you know, kind of were taking a look at the intellectual side of a lot of the films that were coming out in the in the years previous. Because again, and this is a theme we've hit on in the last couple of weeks, but after World War II, France was because it was under a Nazi occupation, right? So. They were now able to see this slew of movies once um, they were liberated, and this was heavily influenced. So now they got all these movies from the kind of the last 15 years, and they're looking at them as kind of one thing, and they're looking at them intellectually, and they're trying to see like what what what's coming out of America with these film noirs, or like what were what are the Italians doing with with these new neorealist movies? So th- that was the climate these Kaye guys grew up in, and so by the the mid to late 50s, yeah, they came together. They were all, you know, kind of college guys, academics, and they started writing, but it wasn't enough because they started to think the same thing that the Italian guys must have thought, which is like, why sit here and just pick the the, the, the good parts of the, the films we like? Why don't we try to put them all in, like, let's do it. Let's make the films we like. And so that's how you get 400 blows. That's Truffaut, Francois Truffaut's. It's, he was the first one to step out with a big one. Uh, the year before, a guy who was associated with them, Jacques Rivet, had had a film. You also get Claude Chabrol in... Uh, he made a movie called Le Beau Serge, Le Beau Serge in 58. Um, so I don't want to slight those guys, but we, the, everyone goes to 400 Blows in, in 1959, um, which was unique because Truffaut, uh, he had gotten kicked out. He got banned as a critic in the year before, in 1958, because he was so... He didn't like the the mood of French films at the time, and so he was critical of them, and he was so critical of of the state of of French cinema that they told him not to go to Cannes. So he goes, makes the 400 Blows, comes back with it, gets in the Cannes the next year, and wins it. (laughs) Yeah, so um, that was his revenge, and then, so that's why he he kind of... He was the first Thug Life guy meme. Yeah, oh, he totally, that was his you money he just like was like oh you don't like well here's your winner for for next year and then they had to sit there and this this is like the and someone i talked about in the first episode marcel duchamp who famously uh wrote a fake name r mutt on a, a urinal that he found and then put it into this this art uh show that he was banned from but he was on uh, he was on the panel, but they wouldn't let him submit his own art. So he said, screw it. He submitted this thing under someone else, and they accepted it. And then it, like, was was what everyone was talking about, and that was how he got his revenge. So t- to me, this is kind of a little bit of the same, where, yeah, you tell these artists, like, you can't come here. And then they're like, well, no, I'll, I'm coming. <laughs> and that's how you get the French New Wave. Where's the subversion? Yeah. It, yes. Yes, Pete. That the, the theme exactly. Where's the subversion? And, and then they applaud you for it because you got out of the handcuffs. <laughs> yeah. So the, the four hundred blows kind of kicked off this whole era because you get breathless the next year, which is uh, Jean Luc Godard, who was also one of these uh, Cahiers du Cinema guys. That movie is basically a guy he kills a cop in in like the opening scene and then goes on the run. He didn't seem to do the crime for any reason other then he had a gun and the guy would like kind of pursued him but it's just it, it was shot almost to be like laughed at and then they go on the run and it's just it's this wild movie and 
It, uh, Truffaut did the treatment of the script, Godard made it. But you gotta think in 1960 how kind of crazy that was. T to make a movie in France, it's idolizing Humphrey Bogart in the gangster movies. And, and that kind of reminds me almost how nonsensical The Big Sleep is. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that movie is incredibly, like, obtuse. I, no one gets Yeah, and then, I mean, like, to the point where Big Lebowski is basically just, like, a weird, loose adaptation of it. <laughs> right, yeah, where, I mean, you, it's just... It's like a movie about nothing. Like, that's kind of what Breathless you're is. You're just it's, getting it's, it's these... a movie where it's this crime, and there's really no point to it other than, I want to feel like a criminal. And right, like and... Bogart, and then goes on the run, and it's like for no reason. Like, th there's literally no point in it. And event it ends very abruptly. Oh, yes. And, uh, and most I of guess... these films end very, very abruptly. Like, it doesn't feel it's... good when they end no. most of the time. It usually feels like, wait, what? Like, what? It's a shock. It's and like, it's oh, that God, film it's noir influence um, yeah. where... Yeah, so in in this is something I talked about before too, where it, when you like these iterations is how I think of them, they lose fidelity. So, like you said, when the 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 French are trying to do um, the version, they're taking everything about say a Humphrey Bogart movie where he's a gangster and they're talking out the side of their mouth and you know there's a femme fatale and all that. They they take all those trappings, transpose it into kind of a like a kind of dressed up French intellectual thing, but and then they just turn up the energy and it's it's just fascinating because it's it's a meta way to make films. You have these filmmakers telling you these are my influences by making their characters literally idolize the their heroes in these movies. You get in Breathless, the opening scene is like the guy like he's rubbing his lips, smoking a cigarette, and looking at a, a movie board poster of a Humphrey Bogart. Like he wants to be him, and that's the reason. Yeah, but that's a to very do the crime. Tarantino thing to do. Well, and then so Tarantino's an iteration. Yeah, twenty years later from these French. So it's like Tarantino doesn't he doesn't draw back to the noir. He can draw to the French who were drawn on the noir. Like maybe that's how you could think of it. Well, no, it, I think of the scene in Pulp Fiction where John Travolta and Uma Thurman are out, and they're talking about was it Elvis versus the Beatles? Oh, that yeah. Yeah, I think that's actually a cut scene. That's a great oh, cut that is, scene. Oh, yeah, that, that that's, is a cut scene. Yeah, that's, right. that, that's a YouTube gem. But oh, yeah, but the, yeah. anytime you get characters in a Tarantino movie going out to the coffee shop and then just talking about like banality or, or either little things that seem meaningless oh, like or... Oh, Glorious Bastards when um, Daniel Brühl's character is like they're all kind of talking with the director aren't yes they? yes and then they're all talking about the different films of the time and like oh that's trash or oh that's not good and god i feel like there's another scene it's didactic is is what yeah. it is and that's what he gets that from the french because yeah the movies it'll be all this energy you're running around dancing and then it's two characters sitting in a cafe and they'll talk for 25 minutes about uh the nature of life uh, um, uh, or something uh, wait for the crime yeah, <laughs> that's such a great scene. <laughs> it's so creepy. <laughs> that, but, that guy is obsessed with food the same way Tarantino's obsessed with feet. With <laughs> and yeah, well, and Tarantino now knows we know that he likes feet, and so now he's just gonna make a feet movie one day. He and did. it's gonna be it's called Death Proof. <laughs> yeah. And once upon a time, but yeah, by once upon a time, he definitely was like, you guys, that this is what you think I'm about, because that there's so many gratuitous feet shots. But he actually named his production company uh, Band Apart because that's a a Godard movie, oh. a, a band of outsiders. Yeah, like to kind of swing back to to his quote that started it. In his estimation, uh, to Quentin Tarantino, he said that it was reading Pauline Kael, like 
her film reviews that she was writing for the New Yorker in the 60s on these French New Wave films, that's what Tarantino got the most out of was someone, he watches the, the movie, he talks about in that clip going to a, a film, a French New Wave film festival and he sees four, five, six movies. And then he grabs Pauline Kael's book and he goes to a diner and he sits there and reads it and he says that's like those moments were more meaningful than sitting in the film because now she was making like the profound points that I think the line he cites was she said something about this is a movie made strictly of the poetry between the lines of other films or something. Something real nice like that. And like it's a great way to think of the 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 whimsical nature of these French wave films, but then they, like you said, Pete, just smack. It'll just end, or, or something will happen. Which and is something that a lot of South Korean horror films did for quite some time, particularly like movies like Audition. Yeah. Right, which I, I'm, I'm not sure if you've ever seen. I, I actually, that I film, like parts, yeah. It's so two thirds of the movie is setting up the third act, which is just one giant torture scene. Is that the it one is, with all the soft lighting in the beginning? It looks like it's like yeah. a. Yeah. Like almost like a soft core or like an 80s commercial ad for, yeah. And then it just gets completely horrific. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that last piano third. wire on this guy and like <sighs> just doing like little like baby noises and stuff while she's like cutting his limbs off. And like it, it, it's, it's, it's terrifying. It's it's probably the epitome of, of what saw that whole genre That's of torture crazy. porn was. It's it's the epitome of it. Well, and then it just this. ends with like the man's son coming up and, and going, call nine one one. And like it, it doesn't even like feel like there's a beat after the line. It just cuts to black and the credits start rolling. Like it's like I actually did huh, like a laugh because I was like, "That's ridiculous!" Like that's how it. That's it. That's how it Provocative ends. Like, for blo- sure. Blood on the floor is called the ambulance, and it's like it just cuts away. Like it's like that's... it's a comedy skit. Like it. That's kind of what it feels like. It's so out of the blue. That is, yeah. So there's weird. there's definitely some some French new wave in there, and actually, yeah, something even more. You said at the end, the piano string is the lady kind of gets cut up. Yeah, oh, the, the guys, yeah, she's using this piano wire that she got from like this. Uh, I think it's from the piano of like the dance instructor that tortured her as a kid or like something. I forget Jeez. what it is. Oh my God, no, she has guys that she keeps alive that are like that she feeds them dog food and like they don't have limbs. She just like drags them to like dog oh. food bowls and stuff. Like it's disgusting. Wow. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. <sighs> what the dismemberment? Because this is, it, and you mentioned maybe there the some touches of French New Wave in the, the South Korean horror stuff. Well, there's I a very like South, yeah, there's definitely like a lot of the South Korean stuff feels like very international globalist cinema okay yeah which sense like they yeah, take oh, from I'm, I'm gonna touch they take on, from yeah. french new wave they take from american cinema hollywood they take from like, a european centric cinema from like the yeah Danish. we have such a weird view here in hollywood because it's i mean they feel like if, my, propaganda is our number one export <laughs> through film i mean seriously like film is what hollywood for the last 100 like 80 years, people know where that is. People come from all over the world. And we send the most movies to other countries. Other countries, of course, have film. Yeah, they have film industries, but nothing on the scale of Hollywood. And so, yeah, we do have a jaded view here. Yeah. But, I mean, I feel like a lot of the, the, like, art, artistic South Korean directors that are really, like, studying film hardcore the same way that, like, Tarantino was 
or uh, Rodriguez or, or any of these other people that came up in like the 90s that really like looked to these new wave guys or like yeah, even the guys in 77 look to these like yeah they're all film nerds and so of course they've seen yeah they, and this yeah, would have been really in cool their to see, like, you, so. you seeing like these kind of tropes that I really associated with a subgenre of horror a subgenre of foreign horror that uh, it comes from French new wave is I didn't even make that connection well, until there's... just now that's crazy Godard, uh, he has a movie called Contempt, and it opens up with it's Bridget Bardot laying in a bed. And the way he shoots it, now there's no actual dismemberment, but he does these weird quick cuts from just little portions of her body, and it has this eerie effect on your eyes where it's like she's being pulled apart by the camera because the French always, they wanted you to be aware of the camera. And so he's doing these cuts, and I think he's trying to make a point because Bardot's character is doing some narration about it's like an object of desire thing and that maybe she's being reduced to the her beautiful parts and not whole, whole her, um, which is the point he's making. Um, but when you were talking about the dismemberment in Audition, uh, it just made me think of that. Just the, um, like I said, not exactly the same, but yeah, that yeah, getting pulled apart. Yeah, an in- interesting parallel. The other influence that we can talk about um, with these French New Wave guys is Alfred Hitchcock because they loved Alfred Hitchcock. And actually, Pete, you might be surprised to know that before the 1950s here, when the Calle du Cinema guys were writing about their all-tour theory, which we'll talk about in a second, but they, they championed Hitchcock. And before that, he was kind of seen as like a schlock jock, like a money-making, like a guy yeah, was who like, like, you know you're going to get. Stuff. Yeah, it was like exploitative yeah. stuff. Like that's what he was doing, but he was doing it well before a lot. Like he was doing like the same kind of stuff that Ed Wood was doing, but like, Better. like Ed Wood was doing like sci-fi B-movie stuff and like trying to do like eventually like you know like plan nine from outer space and trying to get people like bella lugosi to do one more film you know what I mean? <laughs> like, uh, like that kind of stuff whereas hitchcock i think was just a misunderstood artist yeah he's the that f- was really on the verge of something like i i feel like people like tommy was want to be looked at as as hitchcockian when really they're just ed wood well, because, like, yeah, like, it's... The, Hitchcock could have easily been just another hack that no one heard of uh, if it wasn't for those guys. Yeah, well, I don't know it would have been that severe. He was definitely, like, a, a known entity in Hollywood. and, and Yeah, but if he wasn't no, getting the kind of praise that he was getting, his certainly his personality would have done something, I think. Right? Well, no. No, it wouldn't have. No. What the he, hell is the matter Yeah, with he's me? an of awful... Of course not. No. No, that, he fit right in with everybody else. Of course, you're right. <laughs> but he did. I mean, and he was able to have the Alfred Hitchcock show in the 60s and, and his personality. That's very much in part because of the... Yeah, movie. absolutely. Um, and so he does. He gets this newfound respect because they're... So their auteur theory is that it's the French word for authorship, right? Author, auteur. These Cahiers de Cinema guys would look at, say, a Hitchcock film... And before the thinking was like, this was made up of, it's a group of people making a film and that you can't really narrow in on like who the true vision is. And at that time, it also, it would probably be safe to say a producer working for the studio would have had some ultimate say. These French guys started writing about this auteur theory using guys like Hitchcock as an example. They're saying these movies have a genius in them, a mastery of the craft that you're, you're not looking at. You're, you're taking for granted. The fact that Hitchcock can make a movie or two a year and they make money and they're incredibly, they're, they, he's just, they're storytelling so efficient and he... 
he was kind of coming out. It was out. also because it was a very defined style. Yeah, it, it was could, very, it could, very true, defined. He had a complete vision, and it was his and no one else's. And that is what got through on the screen. And that is what these French guys wanted you to see. Not necessarily that no one else contributed. They just believed that a film should and does have a, a, a definitive, ultimate vision. And it, it's usually the director that's going to have that. And, and the better movies are have a stronger vision because they don't get mixed up with with other opinions really and so this is now where you can get a guy like like tarantino um these days um and it's easier to become larger than life as or like the palma or scorsese the palma yeah and and the the because the, the French influence here is also, they loved Orson Welles. Oh, I yeah. I mean, like, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, Touch of Evil. Comes yeah. Out in 58, and then what, 59 and 60 is Breathless. That, that actually makes yeah. a lot of sense to me. And Orson Welles would it like that was kind of his cap off on the, the noir, his 58 Touch Yeah, that was, evil. His, uh, that was his Clint Eastwood Unforgiven. Like, that was yeah. his farewell to noir, like the way that Clint Eastwood said goodbye to Westerns with Unforgiven. And it yeah, feels that's very a similar to me. Nice way, way to very it. similar to, I, I think Eastwood drew a lot from Touch of Evil, actually, for his little goodbye to Westerns. That's very yeah. interesting. But we can that get is that a that great point. Um, yeah. yeah, I would love to. But yeah, so, and, and, and Orson Welles, he made, like, Lady from Shanghai, like, back in, like, 46, um, I think, or maybe the early 50s. Um, and he, he did, I mean, he acted in a lot of movies he wasn't directing that dealt with, had noir themes and stuff. But what, as a director, Orson Welles also had this, he just had this crazy jarring style of, I mean, editing. He, some of his Shakespeare movies, they're just, they're uncanny because it, just the, the, the way he moves the camera and the people move on screen, it just, it, it has this fluidity to it that, and, and like an energy uh, that a lot of, I don't know how he does. It's like, it's, it's kind of a singular, unique skill, um, yeah. in my opinion. I do want to interject something here that I find very interesting is that at this point, film study and film history is still very much Western centric, Western yes. civilization centric. We're talking about like Wells and Hitchcock, but I mean, I've, I've mentioned Kurosawa a couple times on the show already. Yes. I, I mean, he's coming up a at the exact same tour. time. Yes. Yeah. And, and no one's looking at him. Not really. I mean, they're eventually going to rip from him. And it's going to happen a lot quicker than like, because everyone's looking at Hitchcock and Wells, and it's very easy to see their influences because everyone's going, oh, look at them, look at them, look at them, and their defined style. And I think a lot of other filmmakers were trying to go, well, who else has a defined style? And I think a lot of people looked at Kurosawa because these guys and a lot of other Western people were not looking to the East to see what developments were happening. Because if if they had taken the East into account, they would have seen that the stuff that was happening across the globe really without any communication was all happening kind of at the same time oh and it's fabulous fascinating it's why criterion is nationalized criterion it is a national treasure uh the criterion channel has all these old movies and yeah it's to look at the world cinema scene which unfortunately we we won't have time to get fully into um but there was things happening in um like Africa, you had um, Asemi Sembeni. He was a great part of the African New Wave filmmaker. But Brazil was having um, some of their best films come out during this time. In the Czech Republic, they were having their own new wave. England in the early 60s had a new wave very similar to uh, the French New Wave. Theirs were more, they were also social political movies, but they were they were called like uh, kitchen sink dramas where a lot of them just happened contained in a house. And it's you get a brooding main character like Richard Burton and, and, and his mom and his girlfriend 
or you know nagging him about this and that and it's the movie is about his plight another thing you want to keep in mind about um this altor theory which again not everyone advocates for but yeah they they were they had this idea of a a, a camera pen right which is a camera as a pen not like a, a spy device but yeah that the, the director hitchcock and, would have loved that though yeah oh. <laughs> he would have loved a camera pen oh uh, yeah here, here, here you oh, go Tippy. i Tibby. dropped my pen again could you pick that up for me oh, i just God. step right over there first he would slip one in every blonde that walks by his pocketbook and then yeah, he yeah, would just yeah. yeah no he he strikes me as a guy that would like have one of those mirrors where he could like look up skirts i, I don't know that's oh, my yeah, peg no, on he 100 did that yeah <laughs> allegedly he's dead yeah he did that absolutely <laughs> that's film history <laughs> um but yes <laughs> uh so yeah the camera pen and it's it, just to look at that the, the director and you know maybe his his director of photography they are authoring this movie with with the camera as the pen and the French, you know, known for their intellectual uh, <laughs> uh, verve, um, yeah, they wanted these directors to be taken seriously. Not only seriously, they wanted them to be given, like, what they felt was due credit. That some, not all movies are, are by auteurs. This was, they, they were selecting John Ford. Yeah, Kurosawa was a guy who, who they would look at. And uh, they they just, they loved American gangster cinema. And they, they yeah, they made their own. Um, and th so that's the idea of the auteurs is that and that's what they wanted that's what they identified in in those John Ford movies is that like you you can see a frame of a John Ford movie and go oh yeah that's that's a John Ford movie probably like if you if you're if, if you've seen enough of this stuff that that's the kind of thing they're getting at is that you know the best example nowadays if, if you want to think of an auteur it's the easiest one is is Wes Anderson um, because there's no doubt you're watching a Wes Anderson movie when a oh, Wes yeah, Anderson every on. shot is symmetrical Every yes. single shot has to be symmetrical every time. That's why he has such a unique, defined style. I mean, everything is in that weird aerial font. It's very strange. And he gets a lot from the French New Wave, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. No, I mean, like, he's doing, um, oh, my gosh, the the, the the four short films together. The something Gazette, the Paris Gazette or something like that. Um, Can you look it up real quick? What is it called? I'm trying to think if I uh, know. Timothy Chalamet's in it. Owen Wilson, because obviously Owen Wilson's in it. And Bill Murray's in it, because obviously Bill Murray's in it. Uh, Wes Anderson has to have Owen Wilson and Bill Murray. Oh, is it, um, both. yeah, Rush, not Rushmore, um, yeah. Rushmore has Bill Murray, and uh, Life Aquatic with Steve Azuzu, which Owen Wilson has. Owen Wilson and uh, Luke Wilson were in Wes Anderson's first movie, Bottle the Rocket. Darjeeling Limited. And Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah. Jason Schwartzman was in Royal Ten uh, was in um, Rushmore. Yeah, and he has a recurring cast of, of actors. Like, they're his little troupe that come in. Yeah, and that's he has a perfect word for it, troupe. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. It's very defined. It's actually, I believe, a lot of his style. Edward Norton is actually a part of that troupe as well. Yeah, he's like a, a fringe guy. And that's actually, because the, the friend... He's their Matt Damon. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and I didn't get to do my joke last week about um, going to uh, body positive the raspberry on your tummies therapy with Ben Affleck and Bruce Willis. Oh, that's cool. Well, I mean, that's a lot like you. It's telling a joke a week too late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that has been oh, wait, very key. Oh, this missed opportunity. I just remembered. One second. Let me smoke again. It's, no, it's, <laughs> it's important to double back on these things. Um <laughs> And <laughs> I that was mean. I'm sorry. I'm, I mean that. I love. I love you. I know. Um, 
uh, I wanted to mention um, a, a couple filmmakers too that the, the Godard, Truffaut, and, and Jacques Rivet, this Cahier du Cinema little cachet, they, they looked up to two French filmmakers as well, uh, Agnes Varda, who directed her first movie in 1955, and a man named Al- Alain, Al- like Alan Renes, I guess. Um, I'm sorry, French. Um, Alain Renes. Um, and he, he made a great movie about, uh, it's called Hiroshima Mon Amour. It's kind of a meditation on memory, trauma, love, and what the repercussions of, uh, yeah, that atomic bomb that was dropped in Japan. Wow. Yeah, and, and then Agnes Varda, she went on to make a movie called uh, Cleo 5-7, to the mid-60s. And so she got her start in 55, which is when uh, these Kaye guys were still... They're still writing about the movies, and so they they championed her. And when she, they started making movies, they would collaborate with her. And like kind of like you were saying with the troupe, Jean Luc Godard and his his muse at the time, right, Anna Karina, um, who's in in a, a bunch of his early films. They they were they were in the the Varda film, and it was kind of like a like a cameo. It was a, a friendly uh, a thing because there was this idea of like the left bank versus the right bank in, in France. And so this was just a way of saying like, we're, we're all good. Like this is French cinema. And yeah, so it was kind of a friendly rivalry there. And that stuff's always fun. Um, we're obviously not going to get into it, but... um, Yeah, but you see like those kind of, what you, you talked about, like those reiterations of history, right? Like you, yeah. you have like Scorsese with De Niro, right? Mirroring Kurosawa with Toshiro Mifune. Oh uh, um, yeah, you, you have right. like the and even the Godard and Karina was a huge that they, they were a power yeah. couple. Yeah, um, same thing. Um, where you you start to see people going, oh well, these directors did it, so I'm gonna do it, and that that's yeah. really where the auteur theory takes off from, I think, for these people, and where the new wave really forms and takes its own. It's a great point. Like place is because we're not just look. These people went. These are the films that inspired me, and now all of a sudden people are going. These are the artists that inspired me. And that, that's different, right? Because now you're studying yeah, no, your life. Yeah. They're studying everything. Now you're really getting into the history. You're getting into, like, the kind of armchair psychology that you may do sometimes. That's, like, the, that's yeah. where all of this starts is actually right here. And, it, it yeah, it, it was it, – it's a good point to – because I'm going to keep pointing out the kind of the intellectual side because that's the, – these French guys were trying to make these kind of heady movies. But you get someone like Pauline Kael in America who's writing about these movies. She's a very personal writer. She's one of the greatest film critics. And she would tell you exactly what she felt. And, um, yeah, that's what Tarantino was saying, that her passion for these movies was what turned him on to to their influence almost more than the movies themselves. And so it's this kind of – it's like a symbiotic relationship. It, when you have critics now making movies and other critics are looking at them – um, and like you kind of have the funny business with Truffaut getting kicked out of Cannes and then winning it or Cannes and then winning it the next year. So it's it, these things, they're, they're both sides, but you, the film industry needs people writing about it and you need people making it. It's very obvious. They, they are pretty much developed alongside of each other. And so, uh, I mean, Roger Ebert is probably the most well-known American film critic and he's very similarly he had the power um him and cisco on the show where he could take a movie that's being panned by every other critic and say like no i think this is actually good because this is this and now like that movie is almost saved from history because like you'll still read about that or you'll see like this movie uh after ebert uh reassessed his originally negative review the movie uh had found success on vhs or something like he he had this ability 
Um, and Pauline Kael is the same way, where they they were probably influencing how the movies were made. Because someone asked Pauline Kael, is like, do you think what you wrote influenced how filmmakers were making films? Like, were they afraid of you? Were they trying to please you? She said, if I say yes, I'm an egoist. And if I say no, I've wasted my life. <laughs> Which I think is a fantastic Whoa. quote. Yeah, that's and crazy. Th- that's yeah, that's that's a, a one way to think of film criticism is that when you get the platform to to and, and your opinion matters to people, and you're in a publication like like Pauline Kael writing for the New Yorker, it's a prime time spot, and she kind of can be a king and queen maker. It's not like she can't have things spiked, you know, to get things not made anything. It's just the power of her pen. If if a movie if she gives a, a movie uh, a good review, it's gonna get a bump because if from a community of people who respect her, and that's the the community of people that were reading her stuff that then become the next iteration iteration when we get the American new wave kind of in the late '60s because the French got started in the late '50s. Uh, yeah, take eight nine years because the Americans were a little slow. You know, we're dense here. The French are smart, but um. No, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that. I'm going to say it this way. We were still doing film noir. And then we were in the midst was, of like the Red Scare while all of this really was happening. Like really the end, the ending of the Hayes Code happens. Yeah, the studios right were the, definitely. The French New Wave is really taking off. So I think that they were getting influenced by our stuff. And for, the, yeah. for for because of different reasons, and then what they were drawing off of that we weren't really looking at because we weren't maybe considering it, or we weren't looking at the directors the same way that they were, or writers the same way that they were, and they it kind of caused us to have our own like introspection on our films and people like Hitchcock and Wells and really like reexamine them. And also take those guys into account. That's how you get the American New Wave. I don't think it's like it's because of a dense thing. I think it's because no, we were yeah. responding to the world responding to us, and we were kind of responding back. And that wave kind of just—it it really when it, when it's a wave. I mean, that's really what it is. It, it kind yeah, of just it, reverberates across. Yeah, you the, get like your uh, butterfly effect, right? And then so it the. Because again, the, the you'll hear new wave associated with with plenty of places at different times. The American one, like we said, came in around sixty six, sixty seven. Um, which was also when you're getting like the hippie movement, you know, Summer of Love, and we're also years into Viet the Vietnam War, a couple years into the Vietnam War at this point. So yeah, we're gonna be talking about this stuff next week. But, it, but yeah, what's the, the film that really brings in the new wave for you? I kind of got two. So um. At least for American New Wave, I mean. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which is Mike Nichols, 1966. And then he, he follows that up with The Graduate, which is the easy one. It's kind of the one, like, 400 blows where everyone can say, like, yeah, this is probably where it started. Um, Bonnie and Clyde is is probably the other one that it, it matches the energy of the French New Wave so well. And they actually won Truffaut to direct it, the writers. But, yeah, I, I like The Graduate for the star. It, that, that's a much more the quiet movie say than uh, Bonnie and Clyde but it was it's transgression is in how the story's told and the, the camera moves and yeah the generational clash there in the the film's plot I really dig Bonnie and Clyde more personally of course of course I would I love Hollywood it, yeah, blockbuster yeah. action movies and like like all the flashing yeah I, to me that it was definitely more my my vibe I felt like it it took into account film noir and it yeah. felt like this is the kind of movie the film noir guys wanted to make. Now we can do it. And 
it was Ooh, like so a vindication. Yeah, and it was very ultra violent. It was very graphic for two reasons. One, because they could do it now. But two, because it was as graphic as that was, probably less graphic than some of the news footage where they're showing yeah. guys with, like missing legs and wow. stuff like that are real. Wow. You know, and it's That's very an excellent. Point. And it is ultra violence, very quick, it's very flashy, it's elongated, it's shocking. People weren't ready for it. You've got a lot of squibs going off. Yeah, yeah. You got a lot of squibs. You started oh, a whole economy with that movie with the squibs. And what are um, the Have you worked with squibs? We, we, I, when I was in high school, we did a couple feature-length independent films. Me and my friend. Oh, wow. I wish it's nice. Film festival in my high school. Yeah. So we did. We did do um, special effects stuff. We did do fake blood. Uh, one thing that we did, like we did, uh, we were going to do a zombie movie. So we did fake blood. It was all Hershey's syrup chocolate syrup because that's exactly what hitchcock used in psycho because that yeah. actually showed up like blood a lot better when you go to color that's when fake blood starts getting to become an issue because you coding for ratings and like what you are and are not allowed to show in film like that's why some blood is like ketchup looking in the beginning yeah, because like that's Scorsese, it's, it's famously, meant to look like fake with taxi driver uh, i did yeah, yeah, and Bonnie and, and Clyde, same way. It's yeah, like same, ketchup same. everywhere. Um, but we never did a. We looked into doing it. We looked into purchasing them, the but that, but that was around the time that like the digital kind of revolution in independent film was really taking off. Where like After Effects was a lot more accessible. A lot Fix of other programs. Post, like, yeah, like you know, there was a lot of uh, packages that special effects guys were making and students were making that looked really good. Um, not great, but good. That meant that we could just, you know, spend 50 bucks on a pack of little splurts that we could edit in digitally. Okay. As opposed to using the squibs uh, and on the body. Just kind of have like us, yeah. And then show like later, like, you know, where we wanted those holes to be for another shot where it would be like set up like that for that thing. With a squib, the way it works is like there's a little bag of, of fake blood on top of an explosive charge that sits kind of like a cap gun charge okay, a little sounds, bit more yeah. and it's that sits on top of a protective vest and it literally blows the bag open and it blows in the little hole in the shirt and everything and it looks like it's getting shot apart but it's actually kind of um a reverse interesting effect, so that's got to impact right? the body it's, it's almost like yeah but your mind makes it you know your mind makes it look like the lightning is actually coming down from the cloud to the ground but really the lightning's going up okay sure like, it's kind of like okay, that. okay nice yeah i like it <laughs> or it's like it's meeting in the middle it's kind of like that where it's you know you're seeing the explosive effect of what you believe to be the round but really it's it's it would be the explosive, the explosion would be more on the back end, but that doesn't look good on camera, so it blows out the front too, which you know, like it probably would do something like that. But yeah, it definitely the same uh, digitally. I mean, as the special effects have gotten better, the more we've been able to show. I mean, a lot of special effects don't really come into like super realism until like the 80s with the body horror movement with like the John Carpenter movies and stuff like that which we'll get into later oh, that's fascinating um in this show not yeah. this episode because <laughs> uh, we're already a little over but yeah I mean, I mean like to, to me like I see the graduate as terms of like the sex part I see Bonnie and Clyde as the rock and roll violence part. There's yeah, actually, I mean, like, I'll give you the rock and roll. coming now. American New Wave is like this. Yeah, it is like sex, drugs, and rock There's and roll. There's a movie it is. called I mean, like, Head that the monkeys did. Uh, and Jack Nicholson wrote it. Uh, yeah, Bob That's Raffleson right. uh, directed it. Um, 
at one point they're like dandruff in somebody's yeah. hair because like that's what they wrote it's when so they were trippy. tripping on yeah acid. that i believe that movie is in 67 or 68 so maybe there's your new wave rock and roll you got the violence of bonnie and clyde and then yeah but yeah. the drugs right there <laughs> with head yeah sex well, with mean, graduate yeah going and, on at that point well i mean like i mean if you really wanted to do drugs it would be fantasia fantasia is insane i put that on the other day fantasia's it's great. insane it's so good it's my it's actually it's my favorite movie i tweeted about it this week on our oh you did Twitter okay on g film history now yeah yeah no there was this piece because it was um ave maria they did this whole breakdown of like how crazy that was sure, that yeah. sequence but like that whole sequence of like death mountain and ave maria that juxtaposition of the two with beelzebub like on the mountain and there's all like the demons and stuff and it's like it's supposed to be like the night of the Walt dead. disney getting the nazis from germany that would uh, oh is that what God. it is or is that too soon i don't know when that movie comes out getting the super soldier serum and that's why he's in the cryogenic <laughs> yeah yeah uh i <sighs> he's gonna come out and just be like a super muscular mickey Mouse. <laughs> that's his true physique under it he oh boy you done stuck now <laughs> What do you mean you did? What did you do to my butt? <laughs> oh, you mother... You're canceled, Walt. Sit down. Go back in the tube. <laughs> I made this place. <laughs> You're the blasphemous one, not me. Yeah, Walt is... <laughs> I was a god. Oh, <laughs> uh, <fuck>, I... <laughs> How did we get here? How did we get here, Mark? What the f- <laughs> this isn't how I want to end How'd you want to end it? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs>